Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, all growing a variety of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. I am an active Master Gardener and have kept the certification for over a decade through six different states. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through a America's web radio station site. If you have any questions about something in your garden, please post it on our Facebook page and maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning, we are going to be talking to Jean Hugenbruck, who, apart from the government and Facebook, is known to most of us as Gardening Jones. Good morning, Jean. Well, good morning, Kate, and I must say that, that you did an excellent job pronouncing my last name. Oh. <laughs> it's not an easy one to say. Oh, yes. Um well, um, we are taping this in the middle of winter, um, and for the blizzard uh, we're, that we're expecting. Uh, but let's start um, where you are growing and the types of thing that you grow. Well, I grow in northeastern Pennsylvania, um, about half an hour from Scranton, two, half, two and a half hours from Philadelphia, not far from the, the tri-state border in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, we grow primarily edibles. We, I mean, we do do a lot of flowering plants as well, but even then we try to go with flowering edibles like sunflowers and nasturtiums and things that can serve a little double duty in the garden is, and you'll bring in the pollinators but also can help feed, if, if not us, at least the chickens and the other wildlife in the area. Oh, so, so you've got a small farm. Would that be right? Uh, you might say that. We've got... Um, just under an acre, and I think our actual planting area, not counting fruit trees, is about 800 square feet, um, also not counting pads and things like that. So it is kind of a small farm. It feeds us and our families um, and enough to, you know, have a good supply. In fact, four times like this when there's a foot and a half of snow coming, we were one of the few people that didn't have to go to the store ahead of time because we knew we had enough things in the house that we grew in the garden that would keep us supplied. Oh, yes, I know that feeling. Um, yeah, so we, we actually went yesterday before, I guess, everybody. But, um, you know, last winter um, was a long and cold winter. And this winter, not so much. It, it was kind of a, a much less snow um, until kind of lately. Um, so how did that affect your gardening last year? And what impact do you think it will have for this year that hung over from last year? Well, actually, you know, I like it better when it's it's more snow and less cold. You know, the, it seems like you get an early spring. The problem we had last year is spring came good. It just never left. I think the only day we had over 90 degrees was in May. In fact, I went out and bought an air conditioner in May for my office, and it's still in my office in the box because it just never got that hot that I would need to use it. So the peas and the, the, all the salad greens were thrilled. I had peas still coming in in August. Um, the tomatoes were not quite so happy. <laughs> Most of the people I know um, picked more green ones last summer than they did ripe ones. We were able, we'll talk about our system later, but we were able to use that to try to push and push the ripening of the tomatoes a little bit faster. But it was just a, a, a very cool summer. 
And I think it was probably the latest that most people had tomatoes because I, I know, um, you know, from the, the first frost date, um, you know, I know last year, um, I think our last frost date was around um, early May, maybe late fi- May 15th at the latest. But I tell you, I was not going to put my tomatoes in even though we were past that date because I, the, so, the soil was so cold still. And you're right. I mean, spring went on forever and summer was kind of mediocre. I mean, my husband loved it because he doesn't like 90 degrees, but the peppers did not like it. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, had, we had a pretty good squash here, and we were happy to see that our, our cauliflower and broccoli wasn't going to go quick bolt on us, that we had to go running out there and, and pick it. But... I still would have rather have had a little bit more heat, a few days, you know, where I want to put the fan on or something than, than last summer. But, you know, all in all, every year is a crapshoot. You never know what you're going to get. So I'm happy with the squash supply and the peas and all that. And, and as I said, we were able to get enough tomatoes to make it worth the effort. So. I won't complain. You complain, it might get worse, right? <laughs> well, I think you have to be a little philosophical when you do gardening. Um, yeah. But, but yes, um, I know that you you grow um, mainly in raised beds. Um, is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Um, we did. We started it because our our soil here um, is very heavily clay. Um, a lot of Pennsylvania is, and on top of it, I mean, there's so many rocks in there that anywhere you drive around the country here, you're going to see rock walls because there's nothing else to do with them. You know, <laughs> they're just everywhere. So we started building up. The first year we built up for our carrot bed because we couldn't get a carrot past four or five inches long before it would hit a rock. And now we just do that pretty much for all of them. You know, the years go on, you get a little bit older, it's getting... Down on your knees may not be so tough, but getting back up is another story. So we try to, uh, we're trying to build up all the beds. We're down to just a few left now that are still just a little above ground level, about eight inches high. We're going more towards 18 for all of them at this point. Oh, that, that's quite a, a deep one. Um, you know, I, I think my, most of mine are around 10 or 12 inches. Um, but do, do you do the equivalent of maybe square foot gardening in them, um, where you kind of, you, you actually direct seed, for instance, if you're doing cabbages, rather than sort of sprinkle the cabbages at, around and then take out the ones that aren't space right, you just actually put them in um, the amount that you need. If you need um, 10 cabbages, you just put 10 seeds down. I do do a lot of that. I mean, I don't do the um, the actual measuring. Um, a lot of it at this point is by hand. I mean, I know that my outstretched thumb and four fingers is eight inches long, so I really don't need any kind of thing to tell me, you know, <laughs> where's 12 inches and where's six. But we do that. We start as, as many seeds as we possibly can indoors because we do try to push the seeds in, um, outside. So anything like that, like cabbages and all the cold crops and, and all of our tomatoes, we, we start indoors get them out as soon as we can, you know, as you say, when the soil finally does warm up and do space them. Similar to to square foot gardening, we don't prune quite as heavily the tomatoes as square foot gardening does, Um, so we go a little bit farther between them, but we definitely uh, grow them upright, trellis them, um, and, you know, and keep a lot of, as long as you have enough airflow amongst your tomatoes, you can get carrots down below them and I love to grow basil in with the tomatoes. I can just sit right there on the side of the garden bed and just smell 
the tomato leaves and the basil leaves, and it's just such a wonderful feeling, even if we don't have any tomatoes yet. You know, just, you know, it's coming. <laughs> just finally, <laughs> after all winter, it's coming. But we do do there's something very similar to that. Yeah, um, and, and one of the things that I find, I guess, a little difficult in raised beds, particularly when I was first starting, um, were things like the row crops, the peas and the beans, for instance. Um, I, I know that you don't generally do four-by-four type type ones, but how would you recommend maybe um, that people deal with crops like that I mean my beds are now I think 10 foot when I started with 8 foot 8 foot wasn't long enough for a row crop to me yeah well we don't we don't really do row crops because um, most of our beds are 4 foot wide Uh, if they're close to the outer gate they're more like 2.5 to 3 feet wide so that we can reach close to the fence but most of them are 4 foot wide so where we see on a seed pack that leave X amount of room between rows, we just completely ignore that. And if it says leave eight inches between plants, we just leave eight inches between all the plants. So there's, the rows are actually between the beds. So we, we don't um, have to run a harvester through or do any of that stuff that the farm, the bigger farms do. So we really just, like you say, it is more similar to square foot planting. For beans and, and peas, um, generally we, we do as much vertical as we can. We avoid most of the bush-type beans and peas. We like a lot of dye beans. Um, we don't eat meat here, so dye beans are a real uh, staple of our diet, and they're hard to get a real good variety in pole types. But um, we shoot for that and, and grow up as much as possible. And really like, don't like to see too much soil not planted. You know, if, if there's nothing growing there, then something that you don't want is going to find a spot to grow. <laughs> so as much as we can keep it covered, we try to do that. Yeah, and actually we were saying, um, you know, last summer was a lot cooler maybe than most, but I re- really love the um, the scarlet red beans, um, which are obviously a, um, a tall one. And last year, those were phenomenal. Because they really start to, to, I guess, wimp out when you get to the mid-80s to the upper 80s where the, the American uh, beans tend to enjoy that. Um, the European ones, I think, uh, particularly the scarlet ones, um, they seem happier at a cooler temperature. So I was harvesting those all through last year, which was quite remarkable. Um, in the 30 years we've been in the States, I don't think that's ever happened before. No, I, I had the same exact experience. I did not realize that that was unusual. I only planted them, uh, oh, it was about 25 years ago. My, my dad's an avid ornamental grower, and he was a little put out by the fact that I was not following in his footsteps, <laughs> and I was growing edibles instead. So kind of being a little bit of a brat, I guess I, I planted scarlet runner beans and said, look, I'm planting flowers, and he didn't know that they weren't scarlet, that they were beans. And they did really well, and I hadn't grown them again until last summer, but you were right. They they did absolutely gorgeous, and they brought in so many other pollinators and attracted so much attention to the other uh, crops that were having a hard time. Yeah, and and of course now you can get purple beans and yellow beans as well, which makes everything so colorful out there. Um, you know, um, I know I, I got, um, I think it was a, a beautiful purple bean that did really well as well. Um, the, the the main gr- crop of green beans didn't suffer too badly, but it was just that this pretty scarlet one kind of overtook everything. And, you know, that to me was just wonderful. 
Oh, I love seeing all different colors in the garden like that. I mean, this year uh, we post uh, planted purple cauliflower before, and this year we're adding green cauliflower and the orange cauliflower called cheddar cauliflower. And I'm so anxious to see how it looks. To me, that's as beautiful as three or four different kinds of roses. And I know that all the ornamental people will say, no, it's not the same thing. But I just love to see edible color like that. I, I think it's just so pretty in a garden. Of course, surrounded by flowering plants. And we hope to have the amaranth nearby and the quinoa. So there'll be all kinds of things going on. And Oh, and just looking at it snowing outside, it's like, <laughs> I feel like, you know, it's just the dream seems so far away, but it won't be that long again. So we're back outside and getting our hands dirty. Oh, yes. And of course, of course, um, the winter is great for planning what you're going to do next year. But, you know, we have to go for our first commercial break here, but we will be back talking gardening with Gardening Jones on the Master Gardener Hour. We will be back in just a moment. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find the archives at americaswebradio.com. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitches too. And this morning, we are talking veggies with Gardening Jones. Um, and at the end of the last segment, we talked a little bit about how you last year enjoyed growing different colored cauliflowers and things like that. The nutrients in the different colored cauliflowers and beans and carrots, um, they, they are slightly different depending on what color they are. Is that right? That's absolutely true. I mean, the... the um compounds that give them that color vary. So there are similar nutrients in orange cauliflower as there is in an orange carrot. Orange cauliflower is still more like cauliflower than it is like a carrot, but it's going to have different nutrients than a head of white cauliflower would or a head of purple cauliflower would. So depending on, on your climate and the room you have to grow, if you can't get a variety in one vegetable, you or in different vegetables, you can get it through one vegetable and still be able to add all those colors to your diet. 
isn't that much nicer to eat too than I'd much rather see a plate with three or four different colors of cauliflower on it or a side dish with four different colors of carrot than to just see the same old, same old, you know, white cauliflower and orange carrot. So it's better for you and it's more interesting to eat as well. And it's more fun to grow, I think. And that's half of it is, is the fun of gardening. Yeah, and, and of course the nutritionists always tell us that you should have a variety of different colors on your plate because it's more appealing and aesthetic to the eye as well as the nutrients that are in them. So, you know, when, when, um, I think you're, you're in zone six, is that right? We're right on the border of five and six. Okay, so, so when do you start and finish, if ever, uh, ordering seeds. Do you manage to get everything at one time? Um, or, or are you more like me, you know, that you always forget something or you add a little bit of extra, you know, with all those, thi- those things that come through on email? Oh, I want one of those. And you've already done oh, the main yes. seed, <laughs> seed ordering. I don't know that I've ever gotten them all in one time. All, all I need is for somebody to say, have you seen this new variety of corn? And I'm back on, you know, looking at and then, you know, if you're paying, say, $4 or $5 shipping, you can't just get one package of seeds. you got to see what else they have and pick up a few more things while you're there. And so many seeds last for more than one year. That That's not like you're, you're wasting your money if you can't plant them all the first season. You still have some time to reuse them. But I I'm really am just a sucker for all the new things that are out. I'm growing something this year called Celtus, if that's how you pronounce it. Apparently, it's been around, and I've just never heard of it. It's a lettuce that's grown for it being like celery, to be harvested like celery. It grows a stem that's like celery. So you harvest it, and you can cook it like celery and eat the leaves like lettuce. And it was like, I have to try that. I just, I have to see how that grows in my garden, what it looks like, what it tastes like. And, you know, one thing leads to another. Those seed catalogs, oh, my goodness. They shouldn't be allowed to come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I know there are, you know, when you've got a lot of different lettuces out there, um, you know, you can ha- harvest, I think, a lot of them and kind of cook them just a little bit. Um, and that kind of helps use them up a little bit. But one of the things I wrestle with, um, and some of it is pessimism, that, you know, for instance, not all the tomato seeds will germinate and so, and, and they're not all going to grow. Some of them will get dumping off. And so I put a few extra in. Um, maybe it's a, a, a spring excitement as well. Um, but, you know, getting a few zucchini seeds planted because, you know, maybe the um, squirrel will get, get a couple of them. And by the time they've all germinated, they're taking over the garden. Um, <laughs> is, is, that a, is that a common syndrome here? I think, I don't know a gardener that does not do that. Like, I think it's one of the basic behaviors. Thinning is one of the hardest things. I always feel to myself, like, what gives me the right to decide which carrot's going to live and which carrot's not going to make it? But, you know, it, well, I do make seed tapes, and that's one of the reasons why, because I find that almost emotionally painful to have to pull a plant out and not be able to use it. But it is, and, and finding new spots for things, uh, you can get really creative sometimes um, where you're going to put that extra zucchini or, uh, you know, where you're going to put the extra tomato plant. And you're right, it does happen, you know. But I was sort of joking this morning, I started two watermelon seeds um, as an experiment to see if I can grow small watermelons indoors and because I just really need to grow something. 
And the one seed came up a couple of weeks ago, and it's doing beautifully, and the other one never came up, so I stuck another seed in the cup. Well, sure, a few days later, didn't the two of them come up? So now I have three tomato seeds where two was kind of pushing it, and I have to make a decision, am I going to plant all three, or am, am I going to have to let two of them go? And I know I'm not going to be able to let two of them go. They're all going to have to find a pot somewhere. And our youngest um, did just um, leave for college for her final year, so we're empty nesters now. So there is a room available uh, to do things like that, try growing watermelon indoors and uh, cucumbers indoors and things like that. Yeah. There's always some more room someplace. Oh, oh, I'm sure, sure, you know, almost all of us find a little extra. One thing, actually, that I did last year, though, and I'm not quite sure why it happened, um, I tried putting some, I think it was peas. I'd got, because this was the first year for the bed, all the garden beds, it was a little chaotic, but I had some um, currants, black currants, red currants, and gooseberries in one bed, and I put peas in there. Do you know those never did germinate? I did it three times. There is something in the the currants, obviously, that peas don't like. I mean, I put carrots out there, they weren't a problem. But but the peas would not germinate there. Well, that's interesting. I know, I heard that the brassicas don't like strawberries. And I unfortunately proved that one year with my broccoli by planting it right next to my strawberries. Last year I found out they don't like grapes either. Oh. And for some reason, and you never know for sure, is it, was it the weather? But when you have an entire bed doesn't produce, and yet produces in another part of your garden, it kind of narrows it down. You know, it wasn't me, it wasn't the weather, it was the location. So I don't know what it is with fruit and some of these vegetables. They're, they've got some little miniature war going on here that it's hard to predict where to put what. And unfortunately, I, I'm turning our gardens into perennial beds, so there's fruit growing in almost every portion of my large garden. So now finding places for the brassicas is going to be real tricky. Well, I, I try try and rotate my, my brassicas bed to different places each year. Um, and this, of course, will be the first year. But, you know, that that to me, you know, there's always a few extra, extra seeds. So I, I'm going to have to be careful about that one. Um, and, but how about... Um, New things this year. You mentioned the the cabbage. Is there anything else that? Uh, sorry, the the lettuce. Is there anything else that you're going to try new growing this year? Maybe not not unusual, but you've never grown it before. Oh, oh there's a bunch. We could go on for hours. <laughs> 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 I have a whole box here. I have um, one of the more interesting is I bought something called strawberry popcorn, and it the I've grown baby corn before, like the Oriental corn. And it grows very small, and it grows multiple little tiny ears of corn. The strawberry popcorn only gets to be about four feet high. It gets about four ears of corn. They're bright red. And you harvest them. They're only like four or five inches long, and you can harvest them as popcorn. So you let them dry on on the stalk, which we've done before with other corn for cornmeal and things like that. But what's going to be interesting is I'm going to try growing them in containers on either side of my porch steps so that it, even if it doesn't work, it's going to make a real interesting fall <laughs> decoration. And I might put in some sorghum around it just for the beauty of it. So here you've got things you can eat, and yet you're decorating for fall without going to the store and buying 
I don't know what they sell those pre-treated um, ears of um, mm. Indian corn that you can't really eat. And, and those horrible and, ornamental cabbages things. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those darn picky cabbages. I don't know about that. And I'm growing chicory, too, which I, I how I could grow for 30-some years and never grow chicory or radicchio, I'm not quite sure. But this year is the year. So I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm going to maybe try uh, celery this year. It's the first time last year that I'd seen it growing, um, and that seems to um, that seems to do quite well. So I'm going to have to f- figure out where where to put it. But just a, a few um, stalks or, or clumps of celery, I think think would be would be nice. And I say I've not never grown that one before, so oh, that would be interesting. Where do you taste it? Yeah. Oh, it's so much better than than what's in the store, like everything else. You know, we like it even just for the leaves. We'll take the leaves and put them in the dehydrator. It only takes about 10 minutes. And we crush them and we use them as a seasoning like you would celery salt, but without the salt. And we can use them all year round. So it's a great seasoning that we don't have to go to the store and buy. And we know that it's organic and and where it came from, but the flavor is just so wonderful. Yeah, and, and of course uh, every winter casserole has got um, things like that in it, the celery in it. So, you know, and there yeah. are so many things that you can do with it. Um, and you know, I, I think we we talked, we mentioned a couple of things that didn't work last year. One of my infamous ones, you know how you get little tiny um, seedlings. I put the cab the peppers and the tomatoes out the wrong side of each other. And guess which one won out? The, the tomatoes grew three foot and the peppers about three inches. They didn't get enough uh, sun. <laughs> yeah, in there. I put my hot peppers and, and uh, sweet peppers right next to each other one year. And the, the hot peppers were great and the sweet peppers were spicy, <laughs> to say the least. The seeds were pretty hot, so you never knew what you were going to get when you cooked a sweet pepper. <laughs> <laughs> It's part of the fun, though. You know, you learn. I try to keep notes so I don't forget and make the same mistake again a couple of years later. But and, and keep keeping the names on all of them is always a challenge, particularly um, tomatoes. I mean, do you have a trick for keeping um, tomatoes labeled well uh, without the, the labels actually, being lost? <laughs> I actually make a map. Um, I make a map in pencil because I change my mind so many times. And then when it's finally in the ground, I put it in ink. And that way I know what I've got. And it, it's the only way for me to do it. I've tried hanging it on there and it fades and I've tried different things. And this way I know and nobody else knows too. So I know where the fungal tomatoes are. <laughs> and nobody else knows unless they go out there and they look for them. And, and so, one of our favorites. And, and so that's in a waterproof pen and paper and you keep it outside all the time rather than bring it inside. Is that right? No, I keep it in the indoors. I have a clipboard that I keep all my notes for that year. And then when the season is over, I have a notebook with plastic sheets in like they use for music, um, I guess, and other things. And I put all that. So I, I can go back oh, probably eight, nine, ten years or something like that and tell you what was planted where and how it did and, you know, plant more of this next year, plant less of that, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And it's fun in the winter to just kind of sit and look and oh, yes. remember and, and, what yeah. happened. Yeah, and, and you can learn, I guess, from uh, from year to year. Um, but, you know, we need another quick commercial break here. But when we come back, we'll talk more about maybe some pests in the garden, the big and the little ones. With Gardening Jones on the Master Gardener Hour, we will be right back. 
Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show Kate Copsey and this morning we are talking veggies with Gardening Jones from the Greater Philadelphia Scranton area. Um, so we talked a little about some of our fa- favourite va- vegetables and some of the oopsies that we've made um, uh, in the last segment. So let's talk about pests. Um, one of the earliest ones uh, that I seem to notice is the little white butterfly that comes um, into my gar- garden the minute I put the little cabbages out. And even though I cover them from the start, I still seem to get some eggs and then caterpillars. Um, do you have a remedy <laughs> for, for how to keep those little white butterflies away? Yeah, actually, that, that's one you picked that I've never had to deal with before, not found wood. Um, I'm trying to remember what I read. I do believe if it was cornmeal or flour, it was a substance like that that you put on there and that keeps them off of the, off of the, they, I think they, they eat it, the cabbage, um, caterpillars eat it and they can't digest it. Uh, but I can't remember if it was, I think it was cornmeal. Yeah, and I know that works for some of the other ones too. I think my my th- theory was that the actual netting that I put over them maybe was touching some of the leaves, and the caterpillar managed to um, put the eggs actually that, that germinated on underneath. But I, I don't know. Maybe this year I'll, I'll try try a couple of different things, like like you mentioned. Um, and another thing that I, I have been fighting with, and I know there's, there's a few remedies out there, but none of them have been very successful. It's a groundhog. Um, and the community garden is, um, or that I work in is also dealing with a groundhog. And they are so problematic. I mean, there's not, it seems, seems like the only thing to do is exclude them from anything. Um, so do you have a remedy for um, how to deal with um, groundhogs? We, well, we've been pretty much able to keep the groundhogs out um, with our fencing. 
we have chicken wire fencing, and from about the, the ground level to two or two and a half feet up, it's doubled up. I'm surprised they haven't dug underneath, but um, our garden is rows of beds, and in between the beds is landscaping fabric and gravel. So even the rabbits, which is a bigger problem for us, they will eventually find their way, but they have to really dig tunnels for quite a while before they can find a way in. So right now, cross my fingers, the groundhog isn't going getting into the garden at all. And I've only seen one, which they say means you have at least half a dozen. So if you see multiple groundhogs, then you really have an issue. It's the same thing with rabbits. If you see a couple, you've got you know a whole yeah. nest load of them. They only come out, I guess, a few at a time or whatever. But we have a much bigger problem with rabbits than, I think, anything. Rabbits and squirrels. Oh, squirrels are are an issue. Um, Everything from spring bulbs, I think, to um, bird bird feeders and and the garden. But what what particular problem do you have uh, with the squirrel in the vegetables? Well, the squirrels, uh, what I understand, they're primarily going after water. So... um, they will go after your tomatoes. And in fact, the system that we were going to talk about, one of the reasons we developed it is I had one year where I counted and one out of every single five of my tomatoes, out of 75 tomato plants, one out of five was bitten into by squirrels. And it's really, I found out later, they're looking for water. So we did start with a bird bath outside the garden and then we moved it a little farther and then we moved it a little farther. But they, they'll go after the fruit trees. They've wiped us out of uh, peaches. They've wiped us out of, out of plums. Um, there are some things on the market you can get that are organic. There's one called Repels All, and it smells so bad that my husband doesn't want to go in the garden. I mean, it repels <laughs> him, too. And that really did help cut down on the population. But when we moved our tomatoes out of the main garden area and into a protected system, the squirrels pretty much left. I mean, what they were looking for wasn't there anymore. Um, so now they're off, and I'm, I've been seeing the gardens down the street now are they're covering up their tomatoes where they didn't have an issue before. I think they've got our squirrels <laughs> over in their gardens <laughs> going after their tomatoes. And they can have them. I don't mind sharing at all. But, uh, but squirrels, are, squirrels are so hard because they can, I understand, they can jump like six feet straight up in the air. So even if you've got a protective fence, if there's a tree, they can jump, or they can jump up on the fence, and from the fence, they can jump up onto a tree branch. So living in in a rural area like this with trees all around, and you mentioned you have a few in your yard as well, squirrels just have a field day. It's like acrobatics out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm trying trying a little fence around some some of the beds, um, a floppy one at, at the top um, to maybe stop the groundhog. But, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think that might stop um, squirrels to, to going into the bed. Um, but that's still, as you say, when you've got a tree that's overhanging or, or they can climb up a, fe- a rigid fence and just hop over. <laughs> so that's it, it really takes a lot to, to stop squirrels. I mean, uh, I've heard them considered to be some of the most genius uh, wildlife to attack gardens because they will find a way. And I've seen videos on YouTube where people set up, it's almost like the things they would set up for the hamster pages, <laughs> you know, with all the little events that they have to go through to get the treat at the end. And the wild squirrels learn to do this just to get to the treat at the end. And it's, it's very entertaining unless it's your tomato. 
snippets at the end of the <laughs> squirrel map. And that is, for us, that was the primarily thing, thing that they were going after that, and then they would go after the fruit trees. Yeah. Well. And, and I know so, certainly on bird feeders, they can do um, amazing acrobatics, just getting from posts and things to the bird feeder. Um, and they seem to lear, learn and think sometimes. Um, but, but another big, big one that I think is, is nationwide is deer. And I know that they can um, jump fences, but I, on most gardens, I haven't noticed them jumping fen- fences too many times. Um, so I guess with a raised bed, do you find that an issue as well? The, um, the couple, we did a couple things. The, they will go after a raised bed just the same as any other. One thing, um, the main thing that a deer fears is getting its hoofs caught. One, of, one or more of its hooves caught. So if you have raised beds that are lining your garden fence, or even if you have um, plant uh, barrels out there, we put some furniture, lawn furniture out there, they're not going to jump the fence because they're afraid they're going to land on something and get their hooves caught. And from what I understand, that's part of the three sisters of the field when uh, the indigenous um, peoples would plant the squash, the corn, and the beans, one of the main things the squash did was it grew out these vines that would help keep the deer away because the deer were afraid of stepping where the vine was. So you can, that's another thing you could do at home. You can actually grow squash outside of your fence, protect it while it's little so the rabbits don't get it, but it will actually help deter deer from your garden. Anything that, that they feel that they might get harmed. And deer also, I mean, deer is Pennsylvania. We know our deer here. We know them by name. The, um, <laughs> they, they develop pathways for feeding. So at one point they were coming through our yard and, and getting into the garden. We moved where we parked our cars, and they couldn't follow their pathway anymore, so they diverted their path, and then they no longer came back to the garden. Oh, so they went, they went to a neighbor's garden <laughs> instead again. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbors ever figure out who's doing this and in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's go, go down to the smaller ones, like moles and voles and things like that. Um, do you have a, um, do you ever have problems with those maybe going up and under the, um, the raised bed itself? The, um, the voles, not so much. Moles will dig up. Um, the bulls, that, the only issue we have is we still haven't really brought the beds up high enough. Um, bulls are kind of, you know, they skim just under the surface. They like to, if you have straw down, they like to hang out under there. So they're really not going to come up too much in a raised bed that high. So the ones that we haven't replaced yet, um, we'll sometimes find their tracks in there. Moles we will, but moles, since they're primarily, um, Eat meat eaters are not as big of an issue for us. So as long as you don't have too many grubs and things for them to go after, which means you have a healthy garden, then you're probably okay. Yeah. And, and of course, when you've got a snow cover, it's quite easy to see who's tracking where before you've planted. Have you ever done that, you know, where, where you're looking to see where the tracks are going? I have. And, and with rabbits, you can actually look for their droppings as well. They like to share an area. Uh, which is kind of bizarre, but one or two rabbits will find one spot in the garden and that's where they're going to go, and then they all start going there. So that actually makes it easy to find out where they're coming from. Then you just have to look for the holes that they found and cover those up with chicken wire and hope it takes them a while to, to find another route. 
Yeah. Um, well, let, let's just, um, this um, raised bed um, system, we can talk about that just a, a little bit, um, and we'll talk about it more in the, the final segment. But, but basically, how does that work to maybe combat some of these, um, shall we say, irritants or <laughs> in the garden? Well, it, it, um, it stops rabbits primarily because of its height, and we also recommend that you plant the vinyl-coated mesh, or not plant, place, the vinyl-coated mesh wire under the system before you set it up so that they cannot come digging up into your garden. Um, the groundhogs, I think they just see it as too much effort. But like I said, we don't have a major issue with groundhogs here. It has um, this. It's, it looks almost like the old telephone boots. If you um, ever watch The Matrix or Superman, <laughs> so I mean, some people still remember telephone boots. Um, it's a cube, and the four sides have um, panels that you insert, and the panels have netting, and the netting can help keep the squirrels out. I mean, if, I suppose if there was an apocalypse, the squirrels would find a way through the netting because they would be that desperate. But in our gardens, they've never gotten a single tomato once we set them up in the cages and put up the netting we have not had one single bite out of a tomato we don't actually have to grow as many because we get such a better harvest yeah so it it, it protects them in a lot of ways and a deer is not going to go near it unless you have it right out the open unprotected where they can just walk up and you know eat like a little deer buffet but the netting will keep them out as well yeah, I mean, and I certainly down down in the um, community garden that I'm at, um, they tried some cages more for the groundhog. Um, the problem was that it 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 wasn't easy for the humans to get in either to harvest the stuff. So do do your side panels come off to allow you to harvest um, along when you need to? Oh, very easily. I mean, they they snap on and they snap off, and you can even just snap off one side and open it like your cupboard door. And, you know, set your basket down and get whatever you need. And they're on just under four feet on each side, so it's easy enough to reach in from any side. You can actually grow vertically up two sides because you could just use the other two sides to harvest from. Okay. So they're, they're real easy to, to deal with. Yeah. And that was one of the things, too. You know, <laughs> we're both getting older here, and we're, we want to make gardening <laughs> easier. Now oh. we're difficult to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, say so that, that was definitely an issue. But, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here, but come back to listen to more about Gardening Jones and the veggie experiences and the cookery book that they have come up with. We will be back in just a moment. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com. The best in chat radio designed just for you. you're enjoying the master gardener hour this morning we have been talking with gardening jones um about all the different things in in her garden um, and we touched on the gardening system a little bit and how you put it together um so it, this thing is easy to assemble is that right and they can get it from your site gardeningjones.com is that right it really is. I mean, it is available on gardeningjones.com. We are, right now, we're just taking orders to ship out in May. Each one is individually made by hand, um, well, right out here on our property so that we know that everyone fits together without there being an issue. And really all you need is a screwdriver and maybe a mallet, and that's about it. Um, my husband and I can put one together actually really fast now. <laughs> We're getting good at it. 
Um, it, it doesn't take long at all. We did a set with my son and daughter-in-law, and I think we spent an hour, and that included preparing the ground and putting the potting soil inside and all of that. Um, we did get the price down to less less than half of what the manufacturer wanted, which was outrageous. They were suggesting 1200 and it was like I wouldn't be able to afford one of those myself. So we got it down to four seventy five. Um, and that includes the shipping, which is expensive. So that's not a bad deal at all. Um, it is available, as I said, on the site to order right now. And we're also going to be offering it on a Kickstarter project probably right around Earth Day. We expect that to go up. Um, and there's going to be a number of things available there that people can purchase and, and be a part of of this whole entire thing, helping to get some of these. For every filming we sell, we have to figure it out. Uh, but we're going to donate them to um, school districts that don't have garden systems yet. And we also want to have fresh fruit, food, food banks. Um, right now, food banks in our area don't have the wherewithal to uh, accept produce. So we're hoping to help them be able to grow their own produce that they can offer to the people um, that need that kind of help, which um, seems to be a lot of people these days. So... Um, it's, so, it's so what what actually comes um, in? Shall we say in the box um, when when you when you order this? Does it contain the um, the base um, raised bed, or is it just the bit on the top? It, no, it contains the four base panels that um, are interchangeable, so you can attach any one to any other one. There's no like A, B, C, and D or anything like that. And then it has a frame to put on top, which is also very easy to assemble. It comes partially pre-assembled for the side frames, um, and they're easy to put together as well. It's like a PVC pipe, and most of it just snaps in together, not the base, but the top part. Uh, and then it comes with the plastic, um, I guess you call them overserts. Is that the opposite of an insert? There's plastic that goes over the frames if you want to extend the season, and you can put them on um, to, as a cloach, to warm the season up, uh, the, the soil up sooner. We actually had um, seeds germinate in one week using mm. this system, and it, it took over two weeks in the greenhouse, and they're right next to each other. So oh. you can warm up your soil, you can get your seedlings started, and then you can put it up and make like, like a high tunnel out of it. And then it comes with the netting that helps keep the critters out, and you put netting on the panel on the top, and you can actually tie your tomatoes to the top and um, support them that way, like Elliot Coleman does. He twines the string around and supports his tomatoes that way. And the netting helps you to grow vertically up the two sides as well. And if you're growing vertically and they're calling for an unexpected frost, you just put up some more panels with the plastic and you're covered. And you don't have to lose your tomatoes to a frost in May that you know nobody said was coming until that morning. And, and so if somebody orders one of these, can they get maybe... Um add-ons uh, to the system if they decide, you know, they want to extend it um, to other beds or across a, a, a longer bed. <laughs> we originally had, we had wanted to make it a modular system, um, which was actually kind of important, but we found out it can do more by not being modular. Um, you could actually attack three sides, but you're going to lose out on the ability to have independence in the bed. Like, one bed might want the cooler temperatures and the other one doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. One bed might want um, more pollinators than the other one does. 
our our beds, the first um, test models that we built, are five attached one to the other. Um, and as much as it had some advantages, the disadvantages far outweighed it. So we did away with that part of it. Okay, and and with all this great produce, obviously you um, you harvest a lot, um, and you so you've created a cook cookbook. Um, tell tell me about how that started and what made you decide that uh, the the world needed another cook cookbook um, from the garden. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's actually kind of cute. My husband and I met when. We were 11 and 12 years old, and um, and it, it, you hear about love at first sight, but we actually do remember both feeling and not telling each other for 10 years later that we felt something special at the time. So we are childhood sweethearts in a way, and he is a cook. He's got a degree in food service and hotel administration. Uh, we used to own a restaurant. Both, even I'm not in the field, but almost every job I've had, which is human services, involves uh, cooking for people. Right now I'm cooking for a population from India. As It's not my job, but I help the kitchen workers do that. So we were talking about how we do this every day. We, we, we go out to the garden and decide what's for dinner. And um, a lot of people are telling me I grew Swiss chard, but I didn't know what to do with it. I gave it away. Or how can I save money on this? And how can I do this easier? And we knew a lot of those things from the restaurant days, how to make your own extract, how to make your own flavored vinegars, even how to make your own brandy, and not only have a great gift from your garden, but you can save money doing all these things. So we thought, yeah, let's just put it together. We have, um, my daughter has a two-year-old boy. My daughter and her husband have a two-year-old boy. They're new parents, new to gardening, kind of new to cooking, because when she was growing up, we were busy in the restaurant, so I didn't really get the chance to teach her how to cook. And I thought for anybody that's like that, that's just kind of starting out to grow and maybe is used to picking up dinner on the way home and not making it in the kitchen, <laughs> this would actually make things easier for them. And the recipes are all ingredients you're going to have in the house. You know, I'm not going to send you out for fenugreek or some other strange thing. That's the next cookbook. The next cookbook is going to be um, more advanced vegetables. This is 40 of the most common vegetables, over 100 recipes, and then there's things like how to contain your container plant, um, different kinds of herbs, companion planting, saving seeds, all kinds of the, the basic information to get to get started. And one of the things we're most excited about is there's other a child's cookbook coming as well this fall. There'll be a Grow It, Eat It cookbook for kids, which we're having a blast coming up with those recipes and trying them out on our grandson and <laughs> playing in the kitchen in a way we haven't done in a long time. So, 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 if you buy buy the um, the gardening kit, do you get the cookery book with it? You know, we'll throw one of those. In there. Why not? <laughs> Definitely. You also get there's a manual that comes with it that tells you a lot about how to use the system, how to get the most out of your system. And we kid around that we come with the system, too, because anybody that gets the system is more than welcome to contact us on any of the social media sites or by email, and we'll help them through. We've already had a few people that bought the cookbook that um, have messaged us on Facebook with some gardening questions. Um, and we really like that a lot because we know that means they're using it and maybe their garden's going to be better for it. And that's the so, so, so they... They can buy. Can they buy the book directly from gardeningjones.com? Right now, it's available only on uh, through Amazon. You can go to gardeningjones.com or gardeningjones.com/blog, 
and there's a link real obvious, and it takes you to Amazon. And they did actually put it on sale, which I was glad because they sort of set a minimum price that I, I wanted it to be less than that. And then they did drop it by 11 bucks, so I was very happy to see that because um, I want the people to have the information. That's what matters to us. So you can get it that way. When we do do the Kickstart program, we're going to have a bunch of cookbooks um, available through there that will be signed by both of us. Um, so we call him Mandolin Jones because... Well, two reasons. He loves to play the mandolin, and then the mandolin's a slicer, which he jokes about because he can slice faster than any of these little kitchen gadgets can do for all the years of business. Yeah. But um, those will all be available. Some will be available immediately. The other two cookbooks will be available in the fall when they're ready to come out. We need to get some more uh, photographs from the garden for those. Okay, um, and, and what about social media? Um, I know that you're on fa- Facebook, and uh, can they get to those from um, the Gardening Jones? Have you got little thingies that people can just click um, to take take you to the right place? I think um, the best place to do that would be Pinterest, because um, if you find one of the posts that I put on Pinterest, that will take you right to our site. LinkedIn also will take you right to our site. On Facebook, oh, yes, you can, because whenever I post one of the blog posts, what am I thinking? Because I, I not only share what we write, I share what um, I find on the internet, internet that other people have written. But if you find one that says gardeningjones.com or gardeningjones.com slash blog, or even Gardening Jones's recipe box, which every Friday we, we put a recipe up there, um, any of those will take you back. Our site. Okay, and how, how about um, talks and book signings um, in your area? Uh, do, you, do you do talks? Uh, I think you, somewhere I, I found you were a master gardener. Um, do you do them um, all the time, sort of in the area? I, I, the ones I've been doing really have been primarily for senior citizens. Uh, that's actually my day job. Oh. <laughs> um, and I've been doing this since I was 30, so um, I, I, I am becoming one. I am one, I guess. But primarily I work with um, senior citizens on cooking for one or two, that kind of thing. It's not as much the gardening thing, though we do have a gardening um, center, a gardening area on our at our senior center where I work, and we're hoping to have that built up. It got vandalized, unfortunately, last year. We had 50 earth boxes, um, and now we're down to four. So we're hoping to build that up. My husband's going to make us a couple systems to put in there, and get the, the senior citizens back outside gardening, which they're going to love. So many of them tell me, I, I so miss my garden of all the things I had to give up when I got older. My garden has been the hardest. And so we're going to work with them on that. But right now um, I haven't been out doing any kind of talks lately. <laughs> if you know anybody who wants me to, have them give them a call. <laughs> so, but, but if somebody want, wanted to, to um, maybe invite you to, to do a talk, maybe to their garden club or some, something, they'd be able to go, go th- contact you through your um, the Gardening Jones site? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the popular talks that I've done actually is on growing gourds and how to turn them not only into birdhouses but into um, dishes, utensils, uh, clocks, lamps, uh, works of art. I mean, and that seems to be the most popular one because I don't think anybody else around here is doing that. But I'm more than happy to to do a talk and drag I, my husband along if you want a cooking demonstration too. He's he's a pretty funny guy actually. Yeah. I I think think you you do do great talks as well. I I think it would be wonderful. 
Um, but you know that that's all we've got time for today. Um, but th- thank you, thank you, Jean, for taking the time to to talk to everyone this morning. Um, Gardening Jones is the website. Um, thank you to everyone for listening to the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We'll be back next week with another show talking all about gardening and gardens. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.